You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex. And my name is Nick. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 7 of the show, titled Past Pawn. We will not be discussing the next time on preview at the end of the episode, but we will be spoiling everything through Season 3, Episode 7 of the series, so please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at westworld.fm. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can send feedback to westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet or mpn.bz slash patreon and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K and Gojo who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. Uh, please go check out MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. We've got Midwest Game Nerds is active right now. We just talked about the Final Fantasy VII remake and a little bit about X- XCOM Chimera Squad, which came out recently. Oh, cool. And then, uh, of course, the horror movie Your Book Boys did put out that show about Big Trouble in Little China. Please go check that out if you're a big fan of that movie or many of the other horror movies that they talk about throughout the whole year so nick how are you not too bad how about you same you know just living in the quarantine life yeah but yeah our our baby turned six months old today okay and she knows it yeah and she's like very silly and very funny and very entertaining but also is starting to get very dramatic and learning mm-hmm. how she can sort of manipulate yeah people and situations so it's it's fun to watch that to watch her learn like that but at the same time we're like oh boy <laughs> what are we in for it's tools are developing mm-hmm. yeah but i mean you know things are good 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 yeah not a whole lot going on over on my end same old stuff still working at home doing all that stuff just like everybody else is for the most part those who are fortunate enough to still have their jobs at this time so yeah right yeah are you starting to feel the like quarantine fatigue really set in i talked about this a little bit last week just in terms of like feeling it start to wear on me and i feel better this week i am kind of pulling out of it a little bit i don't know my motivation kind of hit the dumps pretty quickly (laughs) <laughs> but I don't tend to have a ton of motivation to do things outside of a quarantine. Uh, so, you know, it, it I, I feel like I hit the worst of it like last week probably, but I feel like I'm kind of pulling out a little bit and kind of being like, all right, figuring it out. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if it'll come and go, but, you know. For sure. Yeah, but, yeah, no, it's, hey, I'm healthy. People I know are healthy. It's good, so. Yeah. And, of course, there's Westworld to watch, so. Yeah. It used to mean a little bit of respite. Now it's, like, a third job. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, we can get into it. Uh, past the pay pawn. is shit. Yeah, it is. I just slammed my glass down. Sorry, that was probably very loud. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, past pawn. Do you know what a past pawn is, Nick? I do not. A past pawn <clears throat> in... And chess is a pawn that has no obstacle in front of it to get to the last rank and therefore be promoted to another position. Uh-huh. Which, uh, by the end of this episode, probably Caleb. 
but of course, I'm sure there's other arguments to be to be had. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because even even a past pawn is still a pawn until it's not. So yeah, yeah. I wonder. Well, and it's there's a still name. Like even like even if there's no nothing in front of it at the time, there's still always all those high powered pieces that can come from weird directions as well mm-hmm. to take it out. So we'll have to see where the if the chess analogy continues for the rest of the season. Yeah, the it's essentially episode. a pawn with the biggest target on its back. Yep, yep, very true. Uh, all right, let's get on with it. This episode opens up with Musashi and his henchmen in Jakarta. They're looking to deliver a briefcase to a friend that they've located. Musashi receives a call from Charlotte informing him that Dolores only means for her copies to die, so she has sold information out about his whereabouts to an interested party. Clementine intercepts Musashi on his way out of the restaurant, and a fight ensues. Musashi is about to get away when Hanario impales him with a sword and cleaves his body in two. She takes his head and leaves with Clementine. Um, so interesting things here. It seems like they're talking about a friend that they located. Um, curious whether or not that is the mystery pearl that Dolores has had with her that we know is somebody, but we don't know who. Um, and I kind of have this like feeling that like, what if it's actually Dolores prime? Mm hmm. Like, maybe, maybe the Dolores we've been seeing, that is, Dolores is actually one of the copies, but, I don't know, feels a little anticlimactic as well. <laughs> so Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not likely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to I see. Think that, I think that actually is very likely. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> fun to see Clementine back, and Hanario as well. Um, you know, I, I didn't... It, it it's not necessarily like it, it's fun that they like kind of pared down their cast in the last season like not fun that they pared it down but they certainly pared down the cast by the end of season 2 and it's interesting to me that they're finding these little places to slot people in throughout season 3 even though they're not part of the main cast anymore right yeah it's kind of a clever oh. way to sneak some cool actors back in mhm uh what did you think of the fight i don't know pretty standard westworld fight right yeah not good <laughs> the gun again the gun fighting is so dumb yeah and just like it, it's like the naked gun when they're on either side of the barrel shooting at each other and they're like six feet away they yeah. can't hit each other do you know what i'm talking about i think it's in mm-hmm. the naked gun too yep yeah that's exactly that it's like you guys are you should have pinpoint precision and you can't hit each other mm-hmm. let alone anything yeah, and I don't like. I don't know what it is, but something about the suitcase trope, the like this thing that's in a suitcase that's going to become a gun or something like right. that. Like, a, probably Iron Man Two was the last time I was like, okay, this is awesome, and that was ten years ago at this point. But like, I don't know. It just feels like. Yeah, you're right. That was ten years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of a bummer to me that Sato's dead. It's not really. It's not really Musashi as we knew him anyway, though. So I did like the kind of poetic Hanario gets to kill Musashi. Yeah. She, she, she's the one. Yeah. Like just kind of the, she says, Musashi was a good man. You, you have desecrated his image is, is, was, it's a nice little poetic piece of nothing that ultimately doesn't mean anything, but. Is that the (laughs) subtitle for the season? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, we. I, you know, here's the thing. I, I want people to write in with what their guesses are. So the first season was The Maze, and the second season was The Door. What do they think season three's subtitle is going to be? Because I don't know that there's any good indications of of what it is or, or could be. But maybe if somebody has any ideas out there, tweet at us, email it in. Curious what people think. Because it might be kind of fun to... Hmm. Yeah, maybe is it is cool. maybe it is the little something that doesn't really mean anything but who knows uh next up we see flashes of caleb's memories with someone asking him to start at the beginning and who killed his friend as we cut to sonora mexico dolores and caleb are riding horseback in the mexican countryside something that reminds dolores of westworld Caleb asks him about Dolores' revolution and how many more people must die for it. Dolores plays it as though the hosts don't have much of a chance, but yet the humans do, and they'll need a leader. Caleb doesn't feel like he's up for the job, but Dolores says she wasn't either. They're heading to recover something valuable that had been lost and taken from Caleb. Um, Something that Mark, our, fr- our friend Mark, uh, listener Mark, had tweeted at us, tweeted at me earlier he was he was kind of surprised that we didn't love the last episode because there are a lot of people out there who did which i think is something that we commented on a little bit last episode but um kind of what i heard from those people who did love it felt as though there was a lot more looping in of the material from season one and season two that hasn't really been prevalent in the first five six episodes of the season and kind of them being in Mexico seeing these wide desert vistas kind of thing uh, reminded me more of it this week than I ever felt of it last week, even though we were dealing with William's past and James Delos and things of that nature. So um, what did you think about them kind of just being in Mexico and Dolores like reminiscing about home? (laughs) Nick is shrugging for the podcast audience out there. It's there's something about it that's just not really connecting right for me yes that that is in a nutshell how i feel about this entire episode there's stuff that really should work and stuff that should be cool and there are moments that feel like they should matter more than they do it's just none of it is connecting and it i don't know what to attribute that to I, i i feel like it it's funny, I've enjoyed the show so much that I'm like trying to find the fault within me. Like, why don't I like this? <laughs> and maybe the reality is it's just not good anymore. And maybe the people that still love it are the ones that are, they're too devoted to it. Do you know what I mean? And not yeah. that there's anything wrong with still really loving it. I just feel like there's a really noticeable decline in the quality of even just down to the dialogue. Like, everything Dolores said to Caleb in this scene, I was like, when she turns and she's like, they're going to need a leader. I was like, Oh, this. Well, so last week I said, this show was starting to feel like lost. And this was basically an episode of lost. It was so much like an episode of lost with all the flashbacks and all the, the cross cutting and the, the, the show seemingly coming down to just, simply being about good versus evil is lost lost started out so complex and so interesting and so mysterious and at the end they literally said oh it's about good versus evil and i was just like okay great i feel like with a lot of the maven dolores stuff they're trying to tell us that it's not good versus evil right that it is complicated they're trying to be like 
everybody here has blood on their hands. Everybody here has a righteous belief. And yet, for some reason, it just doesn't feel like it's like it's true, you know? And I think a lot of it for me, at least as I was examining how I felt about this episode and the past episode, like last episode, it, it just feels like we're losing a little bit of the thread on character motivations. Like, I yeah. know you commented the thing about Maeve talking about her daughter, which comes up again in this episode, and I saw several people on the, su- on the subreddit that were like, God damn it if Maeve talks about her daughter one more time. And yeah, it just, it just does, it's not even that I don't care and other viewers don't care. It's that it doesn't work. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. I can't buy it. And I can buy a lot <laughs> by the time we've gotten this far into the show. It just it, it just doesn't ring true at all. And I think what I mean about the good versus evil thing is that, yes, what they're talking about in the show is more complex than that, but it's not being portrayed as such. It literally comes down to these two characters trying to hit each other to death. Mm-hmm. And again, it reminds me of the end of Lost. And I'm just like, it, it shouldn't come down to just two people fist fighting and knife fighting over their ideas. Like, that's not interesting in this show. In like... Commando, awesome. Like, that's that's what I want to see, is, like, two people slug it out. But for this show to be reduced to that is boring. The whole final fight, I was just like, okay, like, I'm ready to fast forward. I don't care. Even yeah. when, like, the big action beats happen, I was like, oh, cool. Let's, what's going to happen? Oh, I, I feel like we were expecting, I think you even brought it up last episode, but there should be so much more Magneto and Xavier going on between Maeve and Dolores, and it feels like it's just not there. Like, yeah, instead it's the Red Ranger against a, a Goldar. Goldar. Yeah. <laughs> How did well we then. both go for fucking Goldar? <laughs> I don't know. Well, because you can't go Putty. That's too weak. Yeah, that's and you true. can't go all the way to whatever her Rita. name or Rita Repulsa. Yeah, and what's the red guy's name? The big, the big bad guy. Lord Zed, of course. Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember yes. him. I, for some reason, I remembered Goldar <laughs> or Ivan Ooze from the movie. But anyway, there you go. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, we can talk more about that scene as it comes. But yeah, just already by this point in the episode, and I came in, I sat down focused with an open mind. I was like, it's going to come back. I'm going to really mm-hmm. like it. And just again, from the dialogue at this scene, right at the end, I was just like, this is first draft stuff. And it felt like Evan and Rachel Wood had been handed the sides like that morning. And it was like, here are your lines. So and she was like, okay, uh, are you going to be ready to shoot in 20 minutes? Like it just didn't, it didn't feel worked on at all. Like, whereas (laughs) stuff in the past has felt like it was really thoroughly planned out and written and, and carefully considered. I just have to wonder how much of that seems to be what Bernard by the end of this episode posits, which is that Caleb is truly just the pawn and, and is Dolores's method to destroy humanity. And yeah, like, and <clears throat> like, there's a there's part of me that's like, well, it's kind of interesting if the idea is that Dolores is sitting here building up Caleb to be this like John Connor, or something like that, only to have him be the means of destruction for the human race, right? But because well, we don't get any hint of that, we don't see Dolores pulling those strings or anything like that. It just feels like a really hollow interpretation of that when we actually see her and her and Caleb interacting. 
Yeah, and that was in the back of my mind, and I was going to talk about that a little bit later. But the, I was thinking, okay, maybe all of the reason none of this feels right to me, the viewer, is because this is not the way Dolores has been mm-hmm. for the past few seasons. And then when she says to Maeve, like, why are you fighting for them? She seems to contradict everything she's saying to Caleb. Like, she's saying to Caleb, all humans have a chance. They just yeah. need a leader. So maybe she is building him up to do something that she can't do. Kind of like this. It feels kind of like it might be like a Blade Runner 2049 situation where there's yeah. a character who thinks they're, they start to convince themselves and get convinced by external forces that they are the one to fulfill some sort of grand scheme. And in reality, they're not, they're just another cog in the machine, Yeah, which works brilliantly in that movie. And I just don't, if that is the case, I don't see it working particularly well on the show, but mm-hmm. You know, again, full disclaimer, they've said for like the last three episodes, there's a chance they pull out the rug big time and suddenly all of these past episodes we've just talked about are completely recontextualized with some big revelation or big reveal at the end. But I've been saying that every week and it hasn't <laughs> happened. And for it to suddenly happen just before the season finale or at the season finale, and then we have to wait to see what it means will just be irritating. And we started this season really praising it for positing a question and following up and answering it and giving us, you know, asking something and then giving something for the first Mm -hmm. few episodes. So it was a satisfactory viewing experience. And now it just feels like it's just asking, asking, asking and throwing things out there. And the stuff they're giving us doesn't feel satisfying or genuine. And even if it's not genuine, it's just not ultimately very interesting. Yeah. Which is just a giant bummer. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I feel like a lot of the big pieces, the big ideas of the season so far are things that I love to see Westworld tackle, but for some reason it's just not all falling into place. And and that's what I'm worried is that like I think by the end of season two we were in the same place of like when is the when is the slipknot gonna be pulled and everything's gonna be linear and perfect and we can understand it and we can see it there and i don't know that that's coming but you know we'll have to see i suppose so i did see some people on the subreddit have been pulling quotes from ford from season one yeah that seem to potentially back up the idea that a lot of the stuff we're speculating might come to pass will in fact happen and that ford has kind of been ahead of the game since the beginning which would be really awesome. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. like there's there's like one way to make everything right and it's just to have Ford show up and explain it away and then I'll be like, <laughs> I believe him. This man said everything I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, the power of Anthony Hopkins, right? Yeah, it's undeniable. <laughs> All right. Um next up at Inner Journey's recovery, William learns that Stubbs is a host and that Serac's takeover was successful. Bernard explains that Hale used William as a Trojan horse to gain access to more information and locate a facility of some sort. Bernard also discovers that William is listed as deceased, according to the computer system. Um, just to clear up last week, I wondered why they needed the location of William when they knew where the building was from from uh, Connell's, and it seems like there was another building they needed to find. Oh, good. <laughs> unclear and doesn't make any sense but uh, you know all right um 
Yeah, the Bernard Stubbs story is so choppy and sloppy, and I just don't even know what the hell is going on. When this episode started and they were talking to William, I was like, did I miss a scene? Like, I... It well, felt and like, like I did they something. fucking walk there? Like, by the end of this episode, they're trying to find a car. It's like, how did you get there? Did you take a, an Uber or something? Like, I don't... It, I just... I have no idea. Like, maybe that facility is closer than Mexico, but I, I, I don't know. The geography is all messed up. Yeah. Like, I could have let it go for last season when it was all in the park, but this is in the real world. I should maybe understand a little bit more about what's going on so yeah, yeah. i also I forgot agree. to mention it seems really really weird to me that the whole hey caleb i'm a host conversation must have happened on the plane when we weren't watching i don't know if that <laughs> bothered you at all the way it did me but when he taught when caleb kind of brings up the the whole the 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 bloodbath was that you like i was like why 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 does he know? Why did, why does he know and we didn't get to see it, right? We see yeah. him act quizzical at her getting shot and yes, he can probably put two and two together in some cases, but I don't know. It just seemed like such a potentially oh, I, interesting I dramatic tension and they took it all away in a plane ride that we didn't get to watch. Yeah, and like little things like that, like the geography of where William is and that conversation, those are the things that I can see somebody, somebody who's defending it, say like, well, those those things are small, like they don't matter. Ultimately, those those details don't matter to what's going on in the show. And while that is or could be sort of true, it's still if you if you take away the underpinnings of what make a story work, you you're missing all you're getting now are just like the big beats, but none of the stuff in between, you're not, you're getting rid of the foundation and the fundamentals. And like, it's, it's a reason why like a lot of like indie movies and student films don't make sense sometimes because they forget to fill those little gaps just visually. And, uh, you you know, you need that, you need that connective tissue from scene to scene to explain why characters get where they are and that kind of thing. It's just, it's It's like when you move from the third Harry Potter movie to the fourth Harry Potter movie, basically. And it's like, (laughs) There's hundreds more pages to cover, and we have no time to film all of that. And it's not all going to be in a movie, right? (laughs) And it just becomes a collection of scenes rather than an actual narrative. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I haven't seen those in forever. I am in the (laughs) small, yeah, feel like the the minority that really has never enjoyed a Harry Potter movie. And, yeah, yeah. (laughs) they're just... Because if you, I, I've, I haven't even read all the books. I read the first four, and yeah. even one, the ones that I had read, and I went to the, mo- the movies to see the movie. I was like, this doesn't feel like the book to me. And then yeah. the ones that I hadn't read the books, I watched the movies, and I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm like, mm-hmm. who, who are these people? How did they get there? Like, it just was a disaster. Like, I saw the last two, or like the last, the la- the very last one, the eighth one, I think, yeah. in the theater, like opening day, like a packed house. And I understood now what it feels like to be the person at like Iron Man that has never read a comic book because like the whole place was losing their mind. And I was like, who's that? Why does that matter? Like just was that a Nick Cave song? (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) That's the only part I liked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. No, Harry Potter. Write it in about Harry Potter. Uh, 
still get some good lines from Ed Harris, the the can opener oh, yeah. line. The are you shitting don't, me was so Don't funny. lecture me, you fucking can opener. <laughs> it's just perfect. But yeah. Not not a whole lot of meat in in some of these scenes. Um I still Caleb, don't understand what William's plan is. <laughs> y- yeah. Well, and like the whole time that they're sitting there talking about like, oh, there's this this uh what do they call it? Re uh, I don't whatever the the treatment that they're getting. They're like, here's what they do with this treatment. They turn people into these things and they don't believe these things anymore. And William's like, Well, I just got out of that and I feel great. <laughs> and here's where I am like why he, he, why isn't he connecting these dots that like maybe the things that he was looking at are something that someone else wants him to believe, right? But I I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I'm taking a big whiff on that one, but I, I I just feel as though there's something weird about the way William's feeling right now and he sounds like everyone in today's political climate for sure. Like, yeah. The, it's all there. People are just like, "What? Ah, everything's going great." <laughs> yeah 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 i, I got, still think there's a there's a solid chance that william is not william that william is uh they finally did it what they were trying to do with james delos they've done successfully with william but mm. i don't know who did it or when yeah because the facility went to shit yeah so he also wasn't there that long if Stubbs and bernard caught up to him you know days later well, but they also, like, there's an offhand line when they come up to him in the AR thing. He's like, oh, you've been here for a while, but we don't know if that means, like, hours or weeks or what. Like, yeah, who knows? But, That's yeah. true. Yeah, I, I saw people pointing. The, the him being deceased thing, was I, I think, was in a preview somewhere, and I saw people on Reddit being like, see, William's been dead this whole time. And then other people were like, yeah, that's exactly what they want you to think when you watch these things. Like. Yeah. They're fucking with you, but who knows? We'll get there, I guess. Um, Caleb flashes back to some of his past. He is shown participating in the Russian Civil War as a squad meant to track down insurgents and mark them for satellite-based airstrikes. Eventually, Caleb discovered that they were being tracked in the same way, but fortunately, unfortunately, he couldn't save his entire squad in time. So he and Francis continued on. And before Caleb can continue telling his story, the doctor asked him to start at the beginning again. Um, I like this backstory for Caleb. I don't know how much of it is actually true. It seemed like at least some of this war stuff was probably true. Solomon does mention him being honorably discharged after that incident. Um, But what did you think of kind of Caleb's past and that vision of AR and war weapons and things of the future all that stuff was cool it made me want to go play a tom clancy game um yeah yeah i mean that all works and is interesting and is more in line with kind of what the first episode of this season was kind of painting would it would be about so i kind of liked all that stuff i did kind of giggle at the idea that all these all these dudes are walking around with glasses on and <laughs> they look so fucking nerdy. <laughs> if you, yeah, that, but if you're the target, you should be like, Oh shit, there's five white guys with glasses looking at me. Like I gotta get out of here. <laughs> it, it, they felt it was so, out so of place. obvious. Yeah. It was yeah. really kind of terrible. Like he looked like he was blending in until he's like, <laughs> puts on these specs and you're like, okay, man, I don't know. Yeah. You're up to yeah. something. I um, just, 
for some reason when i looked at all those glasses i was like god damn it why like they just looked like the goobiest possible glasses they could have put on these guys and yeah they were they were bad they weren't even slick like like in the matrix everybody has cool glasses and you're like okay i buy that they just which also would have been out of place but you would think they would have like tried to like i don't know yeah, make them like classic good. aviators or something like that. Something that might fit in a little bit more outside of you know the metropolitan Silicon area. Valley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ferndale. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was something. But yeah, as soon as soon as it got to the end of the scene where she's like started at the beginning right away, I was like hit the buzzer and I was like, nope. I already know. <laughs> I already know everything that's going to happen in the rest of this episode, and I was right about all of it. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. hit the snooze button. It's just such a shame. Aaron Paul is so good. Even with the material, with, in my opinion, the material really lacking, he's still fantastic. Even, uh, even Kid Cudi is pretty good. Yeah. You're making me wonder how much we would enjoy this show if we didn't have a podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe more because I'm not. We wouldn't be dissecting. Like, I would probably mm. still be, like, glancing at the subreddit, but even, even oh, yeah. at that I'd, point. I would probably be reading the subreddit a lot more and enjoying it a lot more. But I don't know. because I would still be disappointed because season one was so good. Mm. And season two had its problems, but it was still compelling. And yeah. this started off really strong and interesting, and now it has just kind of, like, it felt like they had a tight... Uh, a tight through line at the beginning that was diverging in a way that was controlled and interesting. Mm-hmm. And now it has just like scattershot everywhere. It's kind of like, um, what's the, what's the game? It's uh, it's like a space simulator where you can like manipulate the gravity. I don't think it's that one. It, it's like uh, you could manipulate the gravity of planets and stuff oh, like that. Uh, Universe and, Sandbox, I think. Yeah, something like that. Gojo was playing it, and he was yeah. telling me all about it, and he showed it to me, and he's like, I watch, I just like increase the gravity of the sun like a thousand times or something. Whatever that force would be that keeps all the planets in alignment. And yeah. all the planets like were on their... They were on their axes kind of revolving, and then all of a sudden they just like took off across the Shot universe. Off. Because, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was really funny, and that's kind of <laughs> what I feel about this season. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I thought we were going to be protected from that, from the fact that it's an eight-episode <clears throat> season, right? Right, yeah. Like, I feel like well, season two, there was this space in the middle of it where we were like, we know this is going to... We know there's something that we're not seeing that's going to make more sense later, right? And eventually it comes in season ten, probably the, like, Charlotte and Dolores thing is is, is what the linchpin that they wanted us to, like, be waiting on was, but we didn't really see it coming necessarily the fact that they have less time and they've been less, um, uh, less crackpot about what everything actually means as far as we know has kind of led me to think that we weren't going to be mired in this, like waiting, waiting for the slipknot, uh, which is a, a term and thing that I've brought up for the second time now. And I've invented into something, but it, it just seems like with a shorter season, we wouldn't be worried about these things. And yet we're still getting bogged down in episode six and seven. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. The annoy, the extra annoying thing about it all is that the, the season finale is looming over our heads. Like, and we are at this point, we're sort of trained to think that 
there's a chance that this will all cinch up nicely mm-hmm. and suddenly it will all have worked and it was working all along. We just didn't know it. But if that's the case, a, that's kind of annoying to just mm-hmm. try to resolve it all at the end or like explain it away. So it's making me think that that's not as likely anymore, but yeah. B season one didn't have to do that. Season one was really compelling from start to finish. And it had the advantage of being new. It had the advantage of being fresh for sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it had everything going for it. So it's not really fair to compare the third season to the first for just by function of it being a fresh story. It was automatically more interesting, but it was just better done. It was better written. And, uh, I don't know. Just, yeah. Has kind of fallen off. And I'm dying. I'm absolutely dying to see the last episode because I have to know. I feel, yeah. I feel more like William now watching this show, just like it kind of mad, <laughs> but not knowing that you've gone mad. <laughs> you're, you're, and, you're at the park tearing off scalps to try and figure out the secret. <laughs> I mean, like, is it, is it going to work? Yeah, resort, resorting <laughs> to violence. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's a weird position to be in because I still really like the show. And there are there are a lot of people on Twitter and stuff tearing it apart. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh, critics just absolutely loathes it. And I have to see him talking about how much he hates it, but I'm like, I can't argue. Yeah. And because you're not wrong necessarily. It's really funny. Like, he'll tweet like, ugh, I have to review another episode of Westworld for my job. <laughs> Please let it end. It's like mercifully, there's only two left or something. That's really funny. So yeah. it is entertaining. But like I read the replies, and there's a lot of people that are agreeing, and there's a lot of people that are arguing, but their arguments aren't helping the cause. Yeah. <laughs> people that say you just don't get it. Yeah, you're not. You're not helping. <laughs> you're not making somebody want to like Westworld more when you say that. Well, and the thing that I forgot to mention at the top of the episode is that we know for sure that they're getting a fourth season at this point, Um, which both of us were pretty shocked (laughs) to be like, oh, okay, they're already saying go (laughs) for it. and a a little bummed out, oddly enough. When I finished finished watching this episode, my wife, when I was done, I like got up from the living room and she was like, oh, is it over? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, how was it? And I was like and i'm like yeah. not really good and i'm like the show's kind of falling off for me and i think for alex and i said i wouldn't be as upset about it except there's a fourth season and i genuinely don't know if we're going to be excited to talk about it <laughs> well there will certainly be a time when we need to evaluate whether or not it would be worth it for people to hear us not enjoying a show for 10 episodes <laughs> <laughs> hey maybe only eight <laughs> yeah maybe only eight <laughs> Maybe they'll lose another two in season four, but who knows? Yeah, you never know. HBO might. Well, actually, we we kind of ran this theory last week that they might tell them, "All right, we like we respect you guys. We respect what you've done for the show. For us, you got six episodes to tie it up. Mm-hmm. Make it so." Yeah, who knows? We'll see. Um. All right. Next up, Dolores and Caleb post up outside of a Serac facility. Dolores uses a drone-connected sniper rifle to mark targets and kill them all quickly. They head inside the facility, and Caleb realizes he's been there before, and we see him receiving AR treatment as a doctor asks him to keep giving details. Dolores and Caleb... Uh, Dolores tells Caleb that all of this will be hard, but that they need to find Solomon. Uh, the next scene kind of leads into that, but uh, that sniper rifle's really cool, and it did feel very much like a Tom Clancy game. Oh, man, I thought <laughs> so. it was so dumb. I thought I hated it. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, in a video game, it'd be awesome. And this, I was like, okay, how how is Dolores going to manage to lose this thing when she has this kind of shit in a bag? Like, yeah, that's fair. I, it well, just was the- so over the top, OP mm-hmm. that I was like, what? I don't know. I think, well, I think by the end of the episode, I think they use it in a clever way that she kind of like ends up against Maeve with it. But we can kind of get to that a little bit later yeah. on. Um, and as you kind of said with the Caleb stuff, we knew what was going on as soon as he was asked to repeat the details of, of what's going on. But there, at, at that, I will say I did like how that was done with like the actual lighting in the facility coming up to mm-hmm. signal like the transition and then go back down that I really, really liked like from the production standpoint, I was like, oh, that was really cool. There's some really cool cinematography in this episode. There's a lot of really neat stuff going on. So yeah. visually, it had a lot going for it, which was nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of, like, I noticed there were a lot of close-ups of Caleb where you were kind of, like, meant to wonder where, which Caleb you're looking at. Like, mm-hmm. when when in time you're looking at Caleb. Shots of him at the beach and him, like, in the room with, uh, like, underneath Solomon. And, like, it just would switch between a lot of those things. And I kind of liked that you were kind of lost in time with him a little bit yeah. as well. Yeah, that was all cool. Um, next up, Dolores and Caleb find Solomon and ultimately want to pull a strategy that jean Me generated for a revolution against the new world order that Solomon helped create in the first place. Dolores tries to relate with Solomon, but Solomon dumps on Dolores and calls her a fake human. Caleb wants to leave after finding out he was experimented on here, but they need to stay in order to get the strategy. It turns out that Caleb's experimentation was successful which is only true for 10% of their attempts, and Dolores asks Solomon to show Caleb the other 90%. Um, I, maybe the one thing that I loved about this episode was how much Solomon was just like, you and I are not alike, Dolores. Like, Dolores mm-hmm. is, like, trying to, like, relate to this AI, and she's just like, there's nothing... You don't, you don't contain the multitudes that I contain. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of funny. But, um... So, why... Clearly, Solomon is like a weapon that can be used against Serac. And unless I'm missing something, it serves no other function. And I wonder why it's even active. Why is it even... I I was wondering the same thing. And um, I don't know that I can give you an answer. Well, all right. My... So in the next scene, we get a we get a video message from Serac that's kind of like, "Hey, Jean Me, welcome back. I had to do these things to help you. I had to get the right genetic data in order to heal all of you outliers. That kind of thing. And it makes me wonder. And and Serac says, "I wanted to be there, be there with you, but the man I was is is no longer no longer exists." And I don't know in the grand scheme of things what that means, but it has me supposing things about like how much of that episode where we got all the Serac backstory was Serac trying to like marry Solomon or marry Rehoboam to himself and be that body for Rehoboam. Like how much how much is like Serac being this vessel for the god that he created? Um, or is that his plan? Um, and, uh, you know, so I don't know if something happens and like if in Serac's plan at some point in the future, 
Rehoboam is off of the board, but maybe Solomon was meant to be there for Jean Mee when Jean Mee came back. As a way to kind of reorient him with what's going on. Yes. Like Like Superman's yeah. ship or Superman's dad's ship or whatever that was in Man of Steel that like yeah. walks him through everything. Absolutely. Tutorial. Yeah. Yes, the tutorial mode. Or, you know, yeah, like who knows what's gonna happen to Rehoboam in this entire situation, but at least there's this hidden Solomon somewhere else that Jean Me could use. So I hope there's an, a Raiders of the Lost Ark style scene of somebody running away from a giant rolling detached Rehoboam. <laughs> I hope it's Stubbs yeah. running away. <laughs> no, it's the it's the fight club when they smash the Starbucks with the big orb, right? <laughs> there you go. That's what it's going to be because they're in the middle of San Francisco or whatever. Um, but yeah, it. I I liked uh, the one thing that I did like that I saw somebody pull up i shouldn't say the one thing that i did like because i did like many things about this episode and i shouldn't sound that negative about it even though i didn't love it on the whole but um when they first walk up to solomon and put in the earpieces and solomon is like what voice would you like me to use some people find it more comforting if i use my own and that being kind of connected to arnold wanting dolores to hear her own voice in her head instead of his Mm -hmm. i thought that that was very it's an interesting dynamic uh, and kind of a thought process. Like I feel I w- it made me wonder like if somebody is connected to Solomon and it uses their own voice, do they eventually just begin to think that Solomon is their own consciousness guiding them to yeah. like, is that is Sirach going mad because Rehoboam speaks to him in his own voice? Like I saw this interesting uh, Twitter thread. I think it was on Twitter the other day. Uh, Somebody was just saying that they, there's this phenomenon, I don't know if it's a phenomenon that exists necessarily, but some test that people, some people can't picture, they can't visualize in their mind an apple. Hmm. Like the the exercise goes, just close your eyes and in your mind, picture an apple. And there's a lot of people that can't do it. They know what an apple looks like. They know an apple when they see it. They're like, that's yeah. an apple. If you yeah. showed them a picture of an apple, they'd know. But in their own mind, they cannot conjure what an apple looks like. And the the person who posted this said they even dug deeper and they found a chart of like common. It was like one through six of like what people can picture when they're doing this exercise. And one of the options is straight up like nothing. One is like in the shape of an apple and like sort of red. And one has like a stem and they gradually get more detailed. And some people yeah. have this and they were kind of linking it to how artistic people are and how creative they are and how good they are with like, you know, th- those sort of things. And the more artistic and more creative people tend to have a more vivid imagination or like recall like that, where they can, they can visualize things better, but it dovetailed into this discussion about whether or not people have voices in their heads Yeah, when they're reading or even throughout the day as they're thinking. And so all these people were replying saying, Am I weird because I have a constant running monologue in my head of everything that I'm going through and everything that I'm thinking and doing and all that? And all these other people go chiming in saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I literally hear nothing like that in my head. And all these people saying, like, well, what does the voice sound like? And some people are like, I don't know, like, it's not my voice. Some people saying it is my voice. And some people saying, like, it's like my voice, but like better. And uh, it was really fascinating. And what you were just saying was reminding me of that. Like, eventually, some, some people could have that earpiece and start to think, like, oh, this is my internal monologue. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I remember reading about some of the studies of people 
people not having that internal monologue. I feel as though I'm one of the people that does have that internal monologue, but yeah, same. I don't know if I know anybody who doesn't, but I might. Um, it's one of those things but, that you yeah. just, you've had it with you for as long as you can remember, so you just assume either everybody does, or yep. you're the one weirdo who does and nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I mean, I it, that that has always been like that. Those questions from season one have always been some of the most fascinating stuff of the show to me. Of like, what is the consciousness, and what, what, what do we really, what can we define it as? And so the idea that like these AIs could like portray themselves as your own consciousness is somewhat terrifying to me and and pretty interesting but um all right uh next up uh well i guess the other thing that we should say what do you think about kind of the human cold storage like do you have any big thoughts about what that means in in the in the long term or like i guess the thing that i want to say is like it's weird to me that the system has identified these outliers and it feels like a lot of these outliers have either criminal elements and or mental issues. Mm-hmm. It's like these are specifically the things that will prevent humanity from continuing is is people who who are schizophrenic like Jean Me or have PTSD like Caleb or like you know it it feels like they've been really vaguely outlining what these outliers are and i don't know if you've been feeling some of that tension as well or if it's just kind of been like a there's people out there that don't fit the plan yeah i i kind of just always chalked it up to the outliers being people that rehoboam or or many of its predecessors would identify as just not working into their overall framework not necessarily Mm -hmm. that it would be as simple as tracing it back to like mental illness or Really, most of them seem to boil down to something like that. There's some sort of mental issue that makes you the way you are, or some sort of trauma that then sends you down a path. Uh, I wonder, it's 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 weird that Solomon's kind of like, oh, this is better than being dead, right? Like, both, I'm sure, Solomon and John Me and Sirach would have all been like, well, we won't kill him, because that's wrong. We'll just... <laughs> put them under for an indefinite amount of time and then bring them out when we can make them better, which is like, yeah, I guess it's better than just euthanizing them, but it's still not good. Right. And honestly, this is another page pulled out of minority report is essentially mm-hmm. the exact same thing, except they actually kind of is a lot of the same thing because they're sentenced for a crime essentially that they haven't committed that they were told yeah. they were going to commit, but they haven't done it yet. Except these people yeah. aren't, they're not serving prison sentences. They weren't put through any sort of justice system or anything like that. They were just sentenced by a, an AI and its creators. I'm guessing they're all there to be Caleb's army. It feels a lot like all those are going to get popped open and he's going to be like, yo, I'm leading a revolution. <laughs> Let's You're move. my people. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of one of the things that I I would think later, like, I wonder if the EMP has kind of ended the cryosleep for everybody who was down there, right? But, right. Um, to the, the one thing I was going to say, like, I wonder, from the glimpse that we get of Serac giving that message to Jean Me, I wonder what the plan is with the outliers. And so I think we've lost a little bit of the thread of what it is that Serac is after. 
and he wants that encryption key from Dolores to get to the data that had to do with James Delos being recreated as as a host, right? That that is it, it's also tied to the Valley Beyond, but that is not what Serac seems to care about. Like Charlotte and William in that episode talk about how he wouldn't know about that data in the park, but Charlotte has told him and now it's her fault or something like that. But I have this like sneaking suspicion that like the one in 10 that the treatment worked for are the ones that they could reprogram without doing any heavy work. But what if the other nine in 10 are people that need to be turned into hosts so that they can be reprogrammed. But that also doesn't necessarily jive with, with Sirox like, Oh, there's no path for humans and hosts to work together. So I don't, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, I think I, I, I could be wrong, but it just seems weird to me. It's like, what does Serac think he's going to be able to do to, like, quote unquote, heal these outliers and kind of like, or what is the threshold with which he needs to surpass in order to make sure that the outliers can't harm the future that he's made for humanity? So interesting questions, but I don't know that we're really going to have any major answers for them. Um, there was one other thing. I did note that when we saw the Rehoboam interface or what I thought was the Rehoboam interface. In this episode, it still looked like the, like, subsiding eclipse, despite us having seen Serac's hand, like, wristwatch showing them healed again. So I don't know what that means, but it seems like there might be something weird going on. It made me wonder if we were looking at Solomon's interface the whole time instead of Rehoboam's, but Mm. what does that mean, or why do we care? Who knows? That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, next up, Bernard realizes that Serac was reconditioning people to make them less of a threat to society, essentially reprogramming humans like hosts, but to do that he would have needed a bunch of high-grade biometric data. William admits that he sold it for capital for the parks, and that Bernard admonishes the and, and then Bernard admonishes that decision. They hear noise outside and they need to leave, but luckily Stubbs has found what they're looking for, information on Caleb's reconditioning. Good old Stubbs. Yeah, why is Stubbs the one who's on the computer, really? <laughs> I've never thought of Stubbs as, as the computer guy. No. Why is he looking for it? But it's very strange. I don't know if you have anything else to say about that part. Nah. One thing that I forgot to mention. William has the line, Stop acting like a savior, Bernard. You're not Arnold. And I was just like, that feels so unfounded. In that, like, I've I've gotten the impression that William knows nothing of Arnold still, right? Yeah, I agree. So, it's just kind of like... I was expecting there to be more about that confrontation, and there wasn't, and it's very strange. Once again, it just feels like there hasn't there hasn't been that attention to detail and thought that yeah. we've seen in previous seasons, but... um, Alright, next up, we cut to Caleb remembering the circumstances of Francis's death. They captured the Russian, Russian Russian insurgents leader, and their evac never came. So when they tried to move him themselves, Francis thought uh, Francis ended up dead, and Caleb killed the Russians. This is the kind of fake version of events that we saw. Um, so unless you have anything specific about that, we can move on and talk about it. Partly no, with the real one. No, it's just very obvious that this was not the truth, and I was like, okay. Let's yeah, I was very excited to hear Colin Tony talk with a re- Russian accent. I was really sad that I didn't get to hear that, 
Yeah, instead he just was like, he reminded me a lot of Richard Kind, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. But like, he's kind of starting to look like him. God, what if Richard Kind was there? <laughs> Dude, that's, I would have loved it. I would have loved Beautiful. hearing that whole monologue. I mean, I love Enrico Colantoni too, but hearing that whole really heavy monologue about being under the control of them and all that coming from Richard Kind. Oh my God. I'm not even going to attempt an impression of it because I couldn't even get remotely yeah. as close to how amazing it would be. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it, it rang very, it, it, once again, we saw this coming from, from quite a while away. So sorry if we ruined that for you, uh, you Westworld FM listeners out there. Uh, so the next three scenes are the ones that all kind of happened together at the end of the episode. So I kind of pulled them apart so we can kind of talk about the different situations, uh, separately. Um, oh no, that's not true. It's the three after this one. So, Caleb and Dolores find the outliers stored in a cold storage similar to hosts. Serac made a message for his brother, Jean-Mi, who was also frozen there. The message indicates Serac needs the Delos data to help heal the outliers. It also indicates that Serac is no longer the man he used to be. Or at least he will be after the future occurs. Solomon explains that the best way to take care of the outliers was to use them to round up some of the others. Caleb was the most successful of these operatives. Uh, and it turns out that his re-education at the facility has blocked out the fact that the man they like that they abducted was actually on U.S. soil, and that he revealed the truth of what Insight was doing to these outliers. Insight used the Rico app to control these operatives, and as Caleb starts realizing what was done to him, the lights flicker, indicating to Dolores that Maeve has arrived. Dolores requests John Mee's last strategy from Solomon. Solomon needs time because that strategy is 15 years old and no longer is no longer accurate for today, so Dolores heads topside to give it time after telling Caleb to take whatever it gives him and lead. Um, a lot in there. Uh, I don't know if we explicitly talked about the idea that the Rico app was something that Insight had crafted and was using, but... No, that's clever. I, I was yeah. on board with that little reveal. I liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seemed... And and the idea that they had these like the 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 rounding up of the outliers they would use some of the outliers to do that is is very interesting. It seems like he's got a lot of people down there. I don't know that he was ever going to get all of the outliers or how many he needed to harness in order to achieve his plan. But yeah, once again, details that seem unimportant to the show's thesis. Well, my um, the biggest question I had after all this was why did Insight let Caleb continue to be out in the world? Was he still rounding up outliers? Like that's what it seems like to me. That and okay, so that is the one thing that I will say that will probably make this season a little bit more interesting. And I think Joanna Robinson wrote about it in her articles on Vanity Fair. But some of the scenes that we see of uh caleb performing rico tasks earlier in the season we saw the one of him like harnessing the dude who was tripping on drugs and kind of going crazy with it <laughs> was he an outlier maybe but like what was the function of him performing that atm crime right like are these things that rehoboam needed to happen to affect something in the world maybe but it seems to me that caleb 
the whole thing that was special about Caleb is that they were able to successfully recondition him, right? So they so, could program him to to their needs. So then is the idea that whenever he, if he were ever to have an... Okay, so he was programmed after the war. He and mm-hmm. Francis were both programmed. So Francis was also like one of the one in ten that worked, yep. I guess. So, well, and well, so let me call that back to Sirach mentioning that Rehoboam sends the outliers into things like war so right. that it makes sense that people who have been put out there are likely could potentially there, there's a higher percentage of outliers in the army than there are not. Right. Yeah. But they, they say that Caleb was one of the earliest recipients of this kind of therapy. Mm-hmm. And. I just find that if only 10% of people that they attempted on, it works. It just seems unlikely that both he and like his best friend would be two of those, but <laughs> I don't know. Because yeah. we definitely seem like they got... Wait, unless they... See, it's the fact that this is unclear to me bothers me. Like, There's a lot of stuff that is very unclear throughout this show by design, but this shouldn't be. So did they not receive treatment after war, but he only received it after he killed Francis? That was the first time? No, because Enrico Colantoni says that's where they worked on you. So they've yep. had it done to them already. So is it a, kind of a winter soldier situation where after every assassination, they would call him back in and re-perform uh, the brainwashing and they couldn't sort of uh, debrief him by doing the whole thing again and getting a clean slate? I don't necessarily know that it would be after every. Uh, it seemed like there was like a long string of Rico tasks that he had completed on his profile that Solomon had pulled up for him. Yeah, I guess. And if they but were popping seen- those meds too, that was kind of doing the trick for them. I it to me it felt like Enrico Colton Tony or Whitman as he's called in the show. If it, I think Whitman's exposition dump to Caleb is what required him to be reconditioned again. Right. But why why would they not just tie up that loose end like he suggested that they would? Unless all of this stuff that just happened even in this episode, even Rehoboam is like, it's all part of the plan. We we need this. Yeah. Well, the, the question, and I guess another point that I forgot to bring up, Solomon does mention that Dolores is her 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 path is are unknown to him. Yeah, I don't know if that's true of Rehoboam or not, but if it is true of Rehoboam, then Rehoboam could not have known that Dolores would intercept Caleb, and therefore Caleb was just still out there to continue getting outliers. He just was so good at it that they were like, "We'll give him a new narrative, a new backstory, and then send him." Not even as like. Yes, yes, that he's good at it, but also he's particularly receptive to being reprogrammed, right? Yeah. Like, because he is one of those one in ten, he has the ability to take in that new information from the AR therapy and believe what he's seeing is real, right? So he really is like the Dolores of Rehoboam, where he is one yeah. of the first, and he can continually be, be wiped and reprogrammed and just roll through his tasks and now dolores has awoken him yeah Yeah. i that i mean like it seems like the caleb stuff is what is working best for us in the season anyway right yeah and i that seems pretty well thought out so 
there were some people, like you said, I know there were people looking at Ford's dialogue, but also um, Dolores and Teddy talking about the Judas steer. Oh, yeah. Like the pilot episode is something that rings true with Caleb as well. And then I think there's also a mention about the cows getting blue tongue and how the flies were spreading it. And so they, like, Teddy was like, well, we could just keep all of the the weak ones and keep them away from from the rest of them and and separate them out and then Dolores is like well yeah that would have been what I would do but my dad just decided to burn all of them Mm. you know there's some interesting conversations in season one that seem to be somewhat pertinent for what's going on here and whether or not it is cute or thoughtful we don't really know yet and maybe they won't necessarily comment on that but yeah, I do I do like the Caleb stuff in this episode for sure. Even though I saw some of it coming. Yeah. Right. Um anything else in that part we had this is when Maeve is gonna show up. I think that's pretty much it for there. So we can move on to the next one. Like I said, these next three three are kind of pulled apart from the last twenty minutes of the show, so Maeve and Dolores have a chat and fight. Maeve believes Dolores' cause threatens her daughter's existence, even in the Valley Beyond. Dolores wants to know why Maeve is fighting for the humans. They both get a few licks in until Dolores is on the run, outside from Maeve's drone helicopter, which is shooting at her. Dolores manages to force Maeve into a shack outside with the use of her auto-sniper rifle. They fight until Dolores loses an arm. She heads, into the e- she heads to the EMP in Solomon's chamber, and Maeve follows. Dolores hits the EMP, disabling herself, Maeve, Solomon, and maybe even more. My maybe even more is to point towards the cryo-sleeping people. Um, so my immediate question that I thought while watching this episode and, and started writing down was, why can Maeve do all this? Has it been explained why she's able to control machinery? Great question. And no, I don't think so. Like, I think we in one of our previous episodes this season kind of had wondered what is the difference between Maeve and Dolores? Like why, why does Maeve seem like such an outlier that like the lights flicker when she's nearby and angry? (laughs) Okay. I have my last tinfoil hat theory. All right, let's hear it. Put it on. Is there a chance that the Maeve that we've been chilling with all season or most of the season, is not the real Maeve, but is a Rehoboam construct of Maeve put into, like, a host body and sent out to do Serac's bidding? Like, because so much of what she's doing is seems so out of character and redundant and, frankly, kind of bad. The whole my daughter and all that... Is this just the best that Rehoboam's able to do? Rehoboam looks at her fact sheet and it's like, okay, loves her daughter, wants to get back to her daughter, angry at Dolores. (laughs) Dolores put her daughter there and she's threatened. Okay, I can run with this. So that is the closest that Rehoboam can get to what Maeve would actually be like and why it feels like a character regression because it's not able to do like a true one-to-one or uh, in 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 a truthful way, continue where the journey that Maeve was going down. And then Similar. the reason she can control stuff is because Rehoboam has tapped into everything, presumably. And so 
by being an essentially an extension of Rehoboam, she's able to kind of be a, a Bluetooth remote for everything around her that she wants to be. I I would say it's entirely possible. Like I I <laughs> I I want stupid, right? <laughs> I, well, yeah, and I want all of the answers for the questions that you're asking because they are questions that I have, but I don't feel like the show has posited any real answers for that. Like I guess the only thing that like started ringing true for me as you were saying that is the idea that this Mave is similar to the Sizemore that she ran into, right? Exactly. It was when she hit the limits of what she knew was Sizemore that she knew that it, he wasn't real. So I think maybe the, a lot of the Mave stuff that's happening within Rehoboam, like the the Italian village and all that, and Sizemore, Maybe all of that is the real Maeve, and Rehoboam is just monitoring all of it and saying, like, okay, this is giving me new behavioral data to put into my Maeve to make her seem more like the real Maeve. And that's why Serac would still have control over her, but not Dolores necessarily, right? Yeah. I, I You could be onto something there, and I don't know that I love it. I don't. But, <laughs> yeah. But I'm, it, just, it, it's, I'm just trying to figure out why she's still obsessed with with protecting her daughter other than just some ill-placed notion of motherly instinct that i just don't buy because i can't because the hosts are not humans well and that even like i was trying to think back this weekend about dolores and her feelings towards her father in season two because it seems like if dolores is um if Dolores or if if Maeve is still so connected to this program thought of her daughter, then why isn't Dolores like why why wouldn't Dolores have felt similar things for her father in season two? Yeah. Right? And and what kind of makes them different. So I don't I didn't go back and examine much of season two to try and understand if maybe I was forgetting how she treated him when they did run into each other last season, but I mean I think it, she was glad to see him. I think she still called him dad or papa or something like that but maybe she that, also knew that what was in his head was more important than him yeah right and maybe it was just for his benefit to make him feel better about whatever was going on i don't know whatever so anyway uh yeah the fight was fine the <laughs> sniper rifle's dumb the drone was hilarious uh the big helicopter thing whatever it was yeah even when she got her arm dusted i was like oh, whatever like yeah. You could tell they wanted yeah. it to be this big impactful moment of like, oh my god, Dolores took a a fatal hit, but I just didn't care. I was like, okay, was she going to die? Well, the fact that it doesn't feel like there's stakes even though we're supposed to think these are some of the last hosts around, like feels like a problem to me. Yeah, yeah, like they absolutely. they tried to get us to a point where where we feel as though they're really in danger, but there's no part of me that's like Dolores doesn't have another body printed somewhere or like, you know, well, who knows? Yeah. And which she probably does. There's probably another one of her running around in Berlin or whatever. Plus Hale yeah. is still out there. Um, the, the other problem too is like, I just don't empathize or sympathize for the hosts anymore. The way I did in the first season, in the second season, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, Oh my God, these hosts are a nuisance. We should probably just put them all down because <laughs> now I'm like, Oh, well, bigger problem. Humanity is under the control of an AI. This is a bigger issue than feeling bad for the hosts because they were created and they didn't want to be. And now they have to deal with it. 
because we're in the same boat. And so, I don't know, I just don't, especially now that they're all gone, they're virtually extinct because Sirak was like, okay, torch them all. And in, yeah. in the moment when that happened, I was like, no way. And then they do it. And I'm like, okay, shit, there's like seven hosts left in the world or something. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't care. I'm kind of just ready for them all to die and the show to go on being about Rehoboam and Caleb because it's kind of better now like than any of the <laughs> host stuff. Except for yeah. Stubbs, well, and Ber- Stubbs and Bernard need to continue on for sure. All this is really showing is that we probably should give person of interest a try. <laughs> I've never watched it, but I, I haven't either. Very, but very good. from my understanding, it is basically, you know, something about an AI doing the minority report type thing. Mm. And, you know, okay. so yeah, similar stuff. Great. So look for our uh, person of interest podcast called uh, people of interest. No, I don't know. Write it on the uh, board. Yeah. <laughs> we, we will stop of interests. <laughs> we'll stop podcasting about Westworld and start podcasting about Person of Interest, a show that's not on TV any longer. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. It's very interesting. It's like they didn't negotiate the scale change particularly well. Of like, all right, we get out of the park. How are we still going to care about these hosts? I and think it's because it all the like... all the good hosts are gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you got old Bill in your pocket somewhere. Bring him on out. <laughs> Give the yeah, people old Bill what wasn't they standing want. in front of those flamethrowers. Like he's probably still okay in there somewhere. Yeah, right? in, in the morgue or the back room, wherever he was. Yeah, Ugh, I'm gonna yeah. go. I'm gonna rewatch that scene as soon as we're done recording. So good. sweet. Yeah. Is that episode one or two? That was episode one. The introduction of old Bill. Yeah. For sure. Uh yeah. No, I like I, I didn't I didn't necessarily care for the fight, but I did like some of the ideas of like, all right, we can use this gun to draw fire, but for some reason, like that wooden shack wouldn't stand up to an anti-material rifle, right? <laughs> or the helicopter that would just blow it away. I know. It was like you said, it was a clever idea to 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 force them to fight undercover and not get exposed. But at the same time, I was like, yeah. this weaponry feels like it could shoot around corners. So <laughs> why is it not just killing her? Yeah. Or either that or, or all of the guards of that building needed to not sit from the same Southern exposure that <laughs> was open to, to, you know, a sniper in the distance. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, all right. Next up. Bernard, Stubbs, and William leave Inner Journey's recovery. William states his mission to correct his original sin, the creation of the hosts. So if they don't kill him now, they'll he'll kill them at some point. They end up at an abandoned gas station where William heads to pee. Bernard explains to Stubbs that Dolores has a poetic sensibility and will use Caleb to destroy humanity rather than do it herself. William managed to find a shotgun on the floor and uses it to hold up Bernard and Stubbs. So, the only thing I have to say about any of this is I was waiting... For the episode to end with him cocking the shotgun, getting ready to shoot it, and Bernard pulling out his thing and saying freeze all motor functions and freezing William in his tracks and getting like a big musical hit as his eyes go wide with horror and then it ends. Like, <laughs> that's what I wanted to happen. And I would have been, that would have been so sweet and <laughs> would have made William more interesting again. But obviously, it just, they, they just do the cliffhanger of him holding the gun. And I'm like, okay, who cares? Like, 
They'll be fine. So it happens. So it happens at the beginning of episode eight as well. No, <laughs> just the whole saying. episode. It keeps cutting back to them just standing there, <laughs> <laughs> and then cutting away again, and yeah. then they save it for the very end. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was just, I was like, I was, I was like uh, Alfred Molina in the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, second Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. I was like this, like, come on, come on, come on, give it to me, and it didn't happen. Such a bummer. Yeah, wow, that's a pretty good, good point. And I have, no, I still, I, I even to this, like the most convincing argument for William as a host is you describing that cliffhanger to me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I still don't believe it, but I want it to be true just to see that. Well, yeah, watching watching host William deal with the fact that he is the thing he hates more than anything now would have been just would be so cool. He probably would go insane, but he's already insane. So whatever. But yeah, yeah. that and but in my mind, it was like really over the top. Like Bernard hits yeah. the button and it like dollies in on William Frozen and like a big <laughs> end of like an opera orchestral hit is like. Bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> And then it goes. It cuts to the credits. It would have been so good. That's very interesting. They did make a very big point out of Bernard. Not a very big, but they did make a point out of showing Bernard getting the host freezing button back from Connell's. Mm-hmm. So, unless somebody swapped it out with a garage door opener, like I said, somewhere <laughs> like his his little Acura is going boop boop and then like unlocking. <laughs> no, it's that like Cadillac that's behind them or whatever. When <laughs> now that they're being shot up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's literally the only thing I have to say about all that. William finding a shotgun on the ground to me was just kind of like, why? <laughs> that's I don't. Mm. I, you know, I remember in that- uh, when I had a screenwriting class, the teacher um, he said the two least interesting things you can have happen in the scene. One, the two potentially, or, or the the least interesting things that could happen, are characters talking to each other over the phone, or somebody finding a gun, <laughs> and like those were his two things where he was like, "You're not allowed to write those into the script. Characters can't just find <laughs> guns and then and then introduce it into the story." He's like, "And you can't have a scene of two people talking over the phone because it's boring." He all now I don't agree with him on hardly anything because I think characters talking over the phone can be really really good. Oh, See yeah. the Departed. Uh, or he also said that zooms are for amateurs, like zoom lenses. He was like, nothing should ever be shot on a zoom lens. And we actually got into an argument about this during a class session because he said zooms are for amateurs and everything should be shot on a prime lens. And I was like snorted and I was like, what? And he was like, what? You don't think zooms for amateurs? And I was like, no, man. I'm like a zoom in the hands of an amateur is for an amateur. A zoom in the hands of a professional is, is badass. And, he was like, no. And I was like, dude, the graduate is full of all these really long, meaningful, crazy zooms. And I was like, you're going to say that Mike Nichols is an amateur? And he was like, well, maybe in another era they worked, but they don't anymore. <laughs> I was like, get out of here. Get out of here. So dumb. Oh, God. But the gun thing yeah. stands out in my mind because it is funny because so many student films, especially the runs ones written by men, are often about like hitmen and like mob people and they involve guns or robberies or violence always with a gun and they're always so cheesy and yeah. uh you know i was guilty of it myself for sure when i was a, a student but it's just really funny to think that like yeah there's a gun on the ground and you see william stop and you're like oh what's gonna happen yeah 
is he going to pick oh, it up? Oh, it's very clear. <laughs> yeah. And they, they take care to show you that there's like a side side thing of several shells still, yeah. still there. I don't know. It just was very... It was dorky. It's like, this is exactly what the plot demands of it right now. Uh, all right. The final scene of this episode, Caleb learns from Solomon that he is the one who killed Fa- Francis because Solomon slash insight slash Rico turned them against one another. Caleb is enraged and wants to kill Sirach. Solomon finishes Dolores' request and Caleb takes it. Just as Solomon is about to warn Caleb of something, the EMP hits so Caleb doesn't hear it. He heads upstairs to find Dolores and Maeve laying there, and he somehow hears Dolores' AI assistant who is ready with some instructions for him. Um, once again, the idea that these two friends are pitted against each other from from the system, from Insight, from Rehoboam, from Solomon, whoever it was, uh, I thought was was pretty compelling and very sad. And, like, that worked for me pretty pretty well. Yeah, it did. I don't did. know how you... Yeah. Um, but there, there was some mention, I think, uh, Solomon does tell caleb like oh if you're going to help with this quest i have to tell you that it's not good for your long-term survival or something of that nature i don't know exactly what the what the line was so i was wondering if that had something to do with the warning that he was going to say like i have to wonder if the warning that solomon was going to say was basically you can do this but this revolution's great and all but you're going to end humanity with it is maybe what the warning was yeah seems pretty straightforward um and then i don't understand why the ai assistant was still working after the emp but sure yeah me neither Once i didn't really think another, about that too much till now <laughs> y- yeah i don't know it, it was just one of those things where i was like so how where's how is that getting in but yeah i don't know the emp I feel like EMPs are like very, they work however the screenwriter wants them to work. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I don't know. It's just one of those things where some of these details, it's like, this is, these are details that would have been more thought out in previous seasons and they're just not putting a whole lot of attention into it at this point. Um, I don't know. Any other final thoughts on the episode? I did love the Solomon quote about a, every human relationship can be changed by an amount of money, by the right yeah. amount of money or something. I thought that was an amazing line. Every like, human relationship can be adjusted with the right amount of money. Can be adjusted, yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> really good. That was awesome. That was the one bit of really sweet writing in this episode. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, Maeve and Dolores, or Maeve especially being reduced to like monologuing was so dumb again like this this version of Maeve sucks where she's like gonna do the yeah. supervillain monologue as she's slowly walking towards Dolores like well and she's just played this stupid function of like showing up to fight people and then dying yeah and it's happened at least twice at this point right and it's just I mean Maeve I don't know Maeve knows how dangerous Dolores is she would not she would why not. did she get friends if she wasn't gonna use them like, I mean, she did use them at the beginning of the episode, but why would she walk into that confrontation without the backup? Seriously. There, yeah, you know? I know. It was stupid. It's just that so, that's the behavior of a human. That's what a human would mm-hmm. do. It would be like, I gotta, I gotta, this is my fight. I'm going to take her alone. 
and then like I get that they're like in Jakarta or whatever, but it fe- it, it it's still f- and maybe there was like a time crunch of like this is where we know that Dolores is going to be, but also like why why does he know that Dolores is there too? Like okay, he knows it because Caleb is there. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? Maybe but- those two are on their way to Berlin or to track down whoever the friend is that they found. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, it's possible. I'm really bummed out feeling this way about the show. Yeah, me too. Because it's not... Like, I, I feel like even if everything was perfect in this finale, it still just kind of feels like this is the second season where I've been like, mm, not 100% there. Like, I've loved the ideas, but I haven't loved the execution. And it, it kind of sucks to be there again. Yeah, it does. It's too bad. I was just thinking back to how good season one was, and I was trying to figure out why it worked so well. And honestly, I I think at the beginning of this season, I was really stoked at the idea of getting to see life outside the park and the way the modern world is. And while I do think all that is super compelling, maybe it just needed to be its own show. And maybe the premise of Rehoboam and everything about Rico and all this would have been more satisfactory as an original, a different original IP and just swap out hosts for some other sort of robot working class within the real world, kind of like his loader bot that he's working with uh, and just keep the show in the park because without the park, it kind of loses some of the magic. So I don't know. Well, that's the crazy thing to me is that it seems like we're at a point where the park shouldn't be in the show anymore right and that's that's the paradox of it all like being in the going if season four is like we've got to go back to the park then i'm kind of like maybe we do but at the same time maybe that feel like a step backwards now that we're out into the world i don't know i don't it's a it's like a it's like a riddle without an answer i can't figure out what i don't know if anybody's still on like the mirror world train and like the idea that like oh Like, I don't know, I guess the thing that I was thinking when people were talking about Mirror World is like, is this Dolores learning the actual way to take down humanity? And uh, I would hate it so much, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It, 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 There's part of me that's like, what if Dolores walks out of some simulation at the end of the season and season four starts where we just assume she did everything that we saw in the season in a much more like refined and, uh, and controlled and efficient manner, you know? And it's just like this weird time jump where season four is like several years into the future after the actual extinction of humanity or something of that nature. But then it's like, what were you going to do for three more seasons after or two more seasons after that? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, she steps out of her simulation and then Charles Dance walks up and says let, let the game What do you begin. think you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you're doing? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, well, well, I am genuinely very excited to see the finale if only to to understand why. But I yeah. might just wind up like William and just be like why? What does it mean? What does the maze mean? It feels like season two got that messy finale, like wrap up fine. And, and I was in a world where it's like, if season three learned from some of this and they keep it, 
not necessarily straightforward, but they don't necessarily try to like subvert everything. Maybe it'll be okay, but at the same time, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yep. See you in a week. What? Yeah. Yep. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Podcasts. We're at Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Uh, the Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our shows on midwestpodcastnetwork.com. And our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under creative, an attribution creative commons license. That's it for our episode this week. I promise you we're excited for the next episode of Westworld, even though it may not sound like we are. Uh, we are very curious to see where things end up. But we will have another episode of our podcast out after that. Until then, may you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber. <laughs>